the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon and welcome. It is, of course, five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline for the very first day of August. Welcome to the uh, new program in the middle of the week here. Trust you're having a great week so far. Certainly hope that you're having a better week than many firefighters across our state have been having as we dive into today's program. Let's deal with the issue that's been on the minds of many, and that is, of course, fires raging in multiple sections of California. Crews today continuing to struggle to gain containment on more than a dozen, all told, raging across our state. Earlier today, Governor Brown told reporters that large destructive fires would probably continue and cost the state billions of dollars over the next decade. Uh, You know, I I don't have a crystal ball here, but I would, would not be surprised if there were more fires the soil is drying, the vegetation is drying, and more fires each year for a very long time. Joining me now with some insights as to where containment is at the moment in three of the biggest fires across the state in Redding, Mendocino County, and in Ferguson down towards Yosemite. We are joined by Daniel Berlant. He is a Cal Fire spokesman. Daniel, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Give us a bit of an update, if you would, first on where containment efforts are at this hour. Well, uh, all day long, crews have continued to make good progress on over a dozen large wildfires burning across California. We've really turned the corner on a number of the fires. In fact, uh, many of the larger uh, damaging fires, uh, like the car fire up near Redding, uh, and even the Mendocino complex in Mendocino Lake counties. Uh, in many cases, those fires have actually started to move away from uh, many of the more populated uh, parts of those communities, allowing us to allow some residents back in. But we still have a significant amount of work to do and a lot of fire activity, and so we're far from out of the woods yet. Give us a sense in terms of the uh, containment numbers. What direction are th- things heading in, and specifically to the car fire, where do things stand now? The car fire, uh, as of right now, is about 35% contained. Uh, Now, in the next couple of hours, we'll actually update that figure based on the progress uh, that our crews have been able to make uh, throughout the daytime today. Over 115,000 acres, though, have burned on that fire, and there are still evacuations for about 15,000 people in place. So as I mentioned, even though we have been starting to make good progress, allowing some residents to go home, we still have a large number of people around the Redding and even the Whiskeytown uh, region uh, evacuated from this fire. It seems as if this is an extended fire season this year. I mean, traditionally, we start to really worry and hear things uh, late August, September, in through October. To many folks, it seems as if we've barely erased the memory of the tragic fires in Santa Rosa from just late last year and suddenly here we are in the July and already big significant multiple fires across the state. What do we attribute this to? Is this continuation of drought conditions in the state or are other other factors here that are contributory to what seems to be a, just an, an inordinate degree and of, of both numbers and sizes of multiple fires simultaneously? 
Well, first off, we have to remember that in California, wildfires have naturally burned here for centuries. Uh, so wildfires are a natural part of our ecosystem. What has changed and really been magnified this past decade is just the, the uh, severity of these fires, how fast they're burning, how destructive they are burning. To have a fire uh, in, in July uh, burn over 100,000 acres is incredibly rare. As you mentioned, historically, our largest and our most damaging wildfires occur in the fall months. Uh, so here we are in the middle of summertime, and even though people equate fire season during the summer months due to the hot temperatures, it's really the later part of the year when, when we see those large and damaging fires like we did in Santa Rosa, like we did in Southern California, uh, down in Ventura in December. Uh, but uh, whether it's uh, the drought, whether it's uh, uh, overall climate change, our fire seasons are getting longer. In fact, on average, we're, our fire seasons today and our summers are 75 days longer than they were just four decades ago. So that means that uh, the conditions in California have a longer period to dry out, and it gives the traditional fire season even more time to burn. And really, in the, 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 the world we're living in now, uh, there is no more fire season. It is year-round condition. And given the fact that we're speaking here on August the 1st, and practically speaking in the traditional annual fire season cycle, we've got at least another 90 days ahead of us. So what kind of warning does Cal Fire want to get out to vacationers and residents that are either living in or traversing through some of the splendor of the state of California that also is at such tremendous risk during this time of the year? What do we need to do to help change our behavior to, what, to, to some degree, at least make a, a solid effort towards reducing these terribly destructive and dangerous fires? And, and you hit on it. We actually do play a major role in helping prevent these fires. Most of the fires that we respond to, uh, in fact, uh, over 95 percent of them, are caused by the activity of people. Now, that doesn't always mean that they're intentional. It could be accidental or even negligence. But we all have to do our part when we're outside to take extra steps to prevent a spark from occurring. Anything from just simply pulling your car over uh, off the road and par- driving into dry grass. The dry grass on the muffler of your car is, and that hot exhaust actually can start a fire. If you're towing a trailer, like a boat, an RV, uh, that trailer has safety chains connected to your car. Well, if one of those chains comes off, that trailer chain is dragging on the ground, it can cause sparks. Everything you can do that uh, potentially could reduce a spark from occurring is one less wildfire that we would have to respond to. So we need everybody to do their part to prevent wildfires, but being prepared for them is, is just as critical. Having an evacuation plan, and in, importantly, and one of the things we've been really stressing, especially after uh, how deadly the, the fires in Santa Rosa and across Northern California were last year, if a fire breaks out and you're notified there's one in your general region, be prepared to evacuate early. You don't need to wait for an evacuation warning to leave your home. If you feel you're in harm's way, evacuate early is always a, a, a very important uh, topic. And, and probably in, in terms of the view of first responders, both police and fire, there's probably nothing worse than having them put their lives at risk chasing people out that are under an active evacuation order and for some reason have decided they're going to make a stand. You know, there are uh, obviously uh, times when a fire burns uh, faster than uh, residents are able to evacuate. And so that's what our job is to, to help with those evacuations. But in other times, when, when we give an evacuation order a day, two days, sometimes three days ahead of a fire, and those residents who choose to stay behind, once the fire burns to that area, 
uh, it absolutely becomes a major uh, risk for our own firefighters' lives who have to go back in to save somebody, because we will. We, we are, our job is to save human life. But if a resident has the opportunity to evacuate and stays behind, you're not only putting yourself at risk, you're putting our own firefighters at risk. So evacuating early is so important, not just for you, not just for your family, but for our, our own firefighters. And we have to pull them off the line. They have to stop fighting a fire in order to go save somebody who could have evacuated earlier. One so of the big really ironies, of course, one of the big ironies, of course, to all of this, Daniel, is that what makes California so attractive equally is what makes it so dangerous. Who doesn't like to wake up in the morning and look out the window and be surrounded by trees and forests and, and all of that? And yet, as more urbanization creeps into these forested areas, there is a greater risk of fire and certainly greater risk of damage to property and to life. Does this also underscore, once again, the need to create fire breaks around property, even if you don't feel like you live in a quote-unquote, forest area, but might be in a region like here in San Francisco, where we've got a lot of wooded areas. And so creating fire breaks, is that becoming more and more important, more critical for homeowners to engage in? Uh, it, it is absolutely critical that homeowners do their part uh, to uh, to remove the dead vegetation around their home. We call that defensible space. And in fact, in rural areas, residents are required to uh, clear 100 feet of defensible space around their homes. Uh, now, for us as a department, obviously, we have increased our the number of firefighters and the number of aircraft and our uh, response to these wildfires to meet this increased demand. Uh, but we've also really increased the efforts before these fires occur in our fire prevention efforts, whether it's going out, helping homeowners create that defensible space, identifying the steps they should take, uh, whether it's going out and creating fuel breaks or even using prescribed burning to, uh, in, a, uh, in a controlled environment during the, the cooler months, burning out the, the extra grass before it becomes uh, tinder kindling for a wildfire uh, you know, in, in the summer months. We've really increased the pace and scale of our fire prevention efforts and continue to stress the need for the residents to do that as well. And, of course, I think we should also be mindful, as Daniel Berlant points out, we've got at least another minimum three months of fire season here in California and probably another easy 30 days to go of vacation season. As you're out and traveling and enjoying the wooded areas of California, be smart. Don't start fires don't if you if one accidentally starts make sure you you report it and a smart thing to do too and i've done this since i bought my first car carry a 10 pound fire extinguisher with you in the trunk of the car uh you never know if any maybe an automobile accident or you come across a fire you might be able to put it out before it literally destroys tens of thousands of acres and takes lives daniel berlant cal fire spokesman we appreciate the update you can also follow progress of containment of these fires online calfire.ca.gov we're going to go north into one of the most dangerous fires in California, the Fergus, I'm sorry, the Car Fire that has burned well over 100,000 acres, if you can imagine that. We'll get a firsthand report as Lifeline continues. Right now, let's get a firsthand report on traffic, and we'll get you a quick update right now. Michael Bennett stands by with the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's 520. Police in Northern California still trying to locate four individuals that have been reported missing since the beginning of the deadly car fire. Mark Mayfield has more. 
The Reading Police Department credited local community members and people on social media for helping to locate 16 people who had been listed as missing. The fire has already left six people dead. Among those are a grandmother and her two great-grandchildren and two firefighters. The fire has burned over 112,000 acres. Nearly 1,000 homes have been destroyed. It's 30% contained. Mark Mayfield, NBC News Radio. And a bit of an update on those numbers as the massive car fire continues to burn. The latest update, the acreage burned is just over 115,000. That's adding almost 3,000 additional acres overnight. Containment improved now to 35%. The number of structures destroyed holding steady at just under 1,400. The car fire is now the sixth most destructive wildfire to property in the state of California's history, just ahead of last October's dangerous nuns fire. So far with six confirmed fatalities, it's the 13th deadliest in state history. Joining us now from just outside of Reading, near the center of all of this catastrophe, is Andy Froyland. Andy, of course, for many years was program director here at KFAX Radio, as well as Morning Drive host, and continues to produce a number of the ministry programs you enjoy on KFAX. And Andy, thank you for taking time to be with us. I know that at many areas, at many levels, this has to be very frustrating. Uh, You were sharing with me just before we came on the air tonight that as recent as Sunday, your own family had been under mandatory evacuation orders, and then they were later rescinded. And I suppose the the unpredictability of all of this is what has so many people on edge. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Craig. Uh, and I, I tell you what, before I get to that, can I do a P.S. to, to Daniel that's uh, it, real important? Uh, you know, a lot of folks, when it comes to getting those evacuation orders, uh, the, the authorities rely upon uh, landlines and addresses. And if you've moved away from that to a cell phone, uh, you're not going to get contacted unless you've got Code Red mobile alert app, which once you sign on to that, then you get thrown into that reverse ni- uh, 911 call. And then you do get the call. Uh, it, it's, it, you know, um, evac orders are crucial, especially in times like this. And again, I know a lot of listeners are thinking, well, I'm in the city. What about? Uh, all I got to do is refer you back to the, you know, the fires in Oakland a few years back. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you're not isolated from all of this. Uh, so that Code Red mobile alert app is really crucial if you don't have a landline. It's a, it's a real lifesaver. In fact, I mean, that's, uh, we don't have a landline where I'm at. So when we got the call, it was through that mobile alert, which also gives you alerts for the surrounding areas as well and keeps you up to date on everything. So, but, uh, as, as far as, you know, what happened with us, um, yeah, this thing originally, uh, and if you had Daniel on a bit longer, he probably would have told you. It, it left a lot of seasoned veterans on various fire departments and fire organizations just confounded because it just didn't act like any normal forest fire or wildfire. This thing uh, created its own weather system. Uh, it created its own uh, wind patterns. It acted erratically. It acted contrary to what we know with fire science. And so initially, within, you know, 48, uh, 52 hours, we had this thing about 20% contained, and then all of a sudden it blew up on us, and we lost total containment, and that's when it just wreaked havoc 
on uh, uh, Reading. L- let me mention for listeners at this juncture, you served for many years as a volunteer firefighter, so you've been trained in fire science, you've fought fires, you've been on the front lines yourself, and, and one of the things about dealing with fires of this sort in nature, in the wild, is the ability to get ahead of the fire, to create fire breaks, to essentially starve out the fire from access to further fuel in order to eventually get it contained and get it halted. And one of the things that's been difficult here, as you've alluded to, as well as uh, just a moment ago, uh, the representative from Cal Fire, and that is the notion that this thing really seems to have a mind of its own. It really did. It created these winds. I mean, if you if you were to go online and Google it, you would find uh, fire tornadoes. I mean, we, we literally have had fire tornadoes in Reading proper. And it's also what that does is it sets up gusts where these embers can float two to five miles. And so all of a sudden, it's leapfrogging over any kind of fire break we've been able to create uh, in a rush, and it, it does no good. In fact, at one point, it, it even jumps the Sacramento River. Now, that's no small river by the time it hits Redding. This is a, a, a good-sized river. This thing jumped it like it was nothing and just kept on raging. So it, it, was, uh, it was pretty insane. So. Now, they have, as I mentioned at the uh, the top of our discussion, they rescinded the mandatory evacuation orders for your community. And I understand you're just approximately 10 miles away from uh, the, the edge of the car fire. Where do things stand right now from what you know? Okay, so basically to paint a quick picture for our listeners, uh, the car fire kind of moves from east to west, west to east. Redding being on the eastern edge of this thing, which is now contained. They've got good containment on the eastern and southeastern edge of this fire. The western side of this fire, if you're looking at a map and headed west towards the coast from, from Redding, uh, it's a lot of uh, wildlands, uh, no, not very many uh, folks living in this area, sparsely populated. Right now, it's probably about a mile and a half from a town called Lewiston, which is, as the crow flies, about 10 miles east from where we're at here in Weaverville. Um, And this is that 299 hub that folks are familiar with the roads here in Northern California. That 299 is the main route between Central California and the coast, which is Eureka. Uh, So, and that thing's been shut off. We, We have had no access to 299 going east since this thing started, and it is still closed. Um, But as far as how this fire has reacted now, over the last couple of days, we've had the winds calm down a bit. Uh, The fire has, if I can put it this way, started acting like a normal wildfire. It hasn't, uh, in other words, this erratic, wild, crazy thing we had the first week is pretty much gone now, which has allowed for swift containment. I mean, as of yesterday, we were still at around 10 to 15% containment, and as you just reported, we're still at about, uh, we're up to about 35%, and they're going to increase that later on tonight. One of the big issues, of course, here has been not just the, the horrific loss of life, but certainly uh, the loss to property. Uh, we're, we're close to almost equaling uh, the number of buildings that were destroyed in the Santa Rosa fire uh, in, in, in the first step. Of course, overall, more
more than 7,500 uh, commercial and residential properties were lost um, back in the fall of 2017. Uh, one of the big angles, though, and we talk about the loss of property, buildings can be rebuilt, but lives that are lost, that's the biggest tragedy. What are you hearing in terms of sort of the, the, the human toll of all of this? The human toll is uh, last, I understand, I think around eight or nine. I don't have the exact number. I do know an update to the story you fed just before I came on. Uh, all lives have been accounted for, uh, alive or dead. And, I, uh, you know, because that number changes as they find these folks, uh, I have not had a chance to check on the exact number of those who lost their lives due to this fire. I can tell you that, uh, in fact, one of the first places of populace that this fire hit was the place where my children go to school, uh, Shasta Elementary School in Old Shasta. Um, it, that, that, that building is still standing, but so many of our friends, uh, of our children who go to that school, they lost their homes. Mm. Um, I've got a lot of good friends who've lost their homes and a lot of good friends who, through good defensible space, as Daniel mentioned, were able to keep their homes. You, you mentioned to me before we came on the air as well um, the the other side of the human um, component in this. Uh, there are those that become the victims of the fire, and there are those that sometimes set fires perp- on purpose. We know that there have been arrests in Southern California in relationship to uh, the fire down near Yosemite. Uh, but the car fire seems to be an unusual one insofar as the, that this was not intentional. This is quite accidental from what we're hearing. It really was, Craig. And again, yeah, on the personal side of all this, I, I would say, you know, uh, for, for us and our audience, I, I would have three prayer requests as we sit right smack dab in the middle of all this. First and foremost is the, the folks who were driving their vehicle and towing a trailer behind them who had the blowout. And before they could stop, that rim set off enough sparks to get this thing going. They, they called 911. They stuck around. They did everything right. They, it was a tragedy in their minds. I do not know their names. I don't know how many there are. And my prayer is that they would remain anonymous. As you well know, there are going to be those who are going to want point fingers and, and lay blame somewhere because of the tragedy that happened in their lives. And that would be a great scapegoat. And indeed, many are, I'm already seeing on social media that many are trying to point to that. And it just grieves my heart. So if our listeners would pray for these folks, whoever they are, that A, they would remain anonymous, and that B, God would just soothe their hearts and minds with the salve of His grace, because the guilt would be just overwhelming. Even though it was accidental and, and, and not malicious at all, you can still imagine if you were that person, in the aftermath of all this, looking at the devastation that that accident created, and you were a part of that accident, my goodness. Oh, I just pray God's mercy on them. I also would ask for all the folks who've lost their homes. Oh, keep them in your hearts and and minds and prayers. That would be amazing. And then finally, uh, we have some churches in Reading. Uh, I think of one specifically that has, uh, with intent and purpose over the past few years, inflicted themselves and God's grace on the community for the purpose of glorifying God and they've received flack for it over the years. You always know you're doing something good for the Lord when the enemy just rears up and goes, no, that's bad. 
Well, the enemy is rearing up its ugly head, especially for this one church, and just really raging on them because, oh, they just didn't step up in time. Not realizing the fact that where the church actually laid was within the uh, evacuation, and most of the staff that I know on that church were evacuating themselves as well. So, you know, you've got a lot of uh, satanic, and I'll use that term, you've got a lot of satanic forces uh, trying to knock down those who are trying to do good. Um, at the same time, there are folks who are doing some amazing things as far as come alongside folks, and uh, there are GoFundMe pages out there. Uh, it's amazing to see the community pull together the way it has. The and church certainly really on the heels along. of the Nuns Fire and the Santa Rosa Fire last year stepped up to the plate and did a lot, both in terms of providing emergency shelter for people that had literally no place to live anymore, as well as uh, food, clothing, uh, you name it. And there's another opportunity here. The big difference is, as Andy Farland pointed out, this is far more rural area, so it's further away from the Bay Area, further away from resources, and you just don't have the population center to be able to go in and step in and respond. If we're here in the Bay Area and say, hey, we're collecting foodstuffs, we're, uh, you know, children's clothing, blankets, et cetera, et cetera, at XYZ Church, in a half hour, you could have, you know, 200 people come by. Up there, it's a bit of a different story. So be in prayer. And, um, you know, this is not over with yet both in terms of putting the fire out as well as, we mentioned earlier, um, not over with the fire season either. Andy Froyland reporting from just outside of Reading regarding the dangerous car fire, now 35% contained. I want to pivot here. I realize that the clock is way off, and we just have to uh, give our apologies. A lot going on right now in terms of news. But there, there's another piece of news that I want to share with you. We've talked a lot about this. This is recent word now, uh, just being handed down, in fact, uh, this week, that a U.S. federal judge has ruled that students have the right to use restrooms, locker rooms, and showers for those of the opposite gender in a public school, and that parents who don't like the policy, you can just take your kids out of school. This is a case in Oregon, north of us, at Dallas High School in Dallas, Oregon, adopting a new policy allowing transgender students to use gender-specific facilities that correspond with their, quote, self-identified gender and not their birth gender. A group of parents then sued, saying their beliefs and Christian faith prevent their children from using the restroom and undressing in the presence of the opposite sex. But in the ruling, U.S. District Judge Marco Hernandez said that the transgender students have the right to use gender-specific facilities and that if the parents didn't like it, they could simply take their kid out of school. Once again, demonstrative of the overreach of the California State Legislature, there's another bill of many that we have been following that is also problematic. In this case, Assembly Bill 2943. Now, latest word, just prior to the Assembly and the Senate going on recess, while that bill did not make it to the Senate floor for a vote, uh, undoubtedly it will be one of the top agenda items once they return from the summer recess. And this is problematic because at the core, it seems to eliminate one's freedom to choose their own counselor, and as many have pointed out, encroaches on First Amendment rights. With more, Elizabeth Moning joins us. Elizabeth, talk to us in terms of why you see this particular measure, AB 2943, so potentially dangerous to religious freedom. Well, it's a restriction to free speech, first and foremost. Um, It seeks to impose 
a state ideology on people regarding their self-identification, their sexuality. And so it's a really dramatic uh, impingement on our free speech, in my opinion. And, and some have tried to argue, even the bill's author, stating that, well, um, this really only points to those that engage in licensed therapy and that this is coming under, and I, and I had to kind of almost laugh when I read the actual language um, of the assembly bill, because much of it talks about the civil code as it has to do with, with consumer goods and uh, and trade, which you think, how do these two possibly begin to match? But I think it's demonstrative of the notion that they're trying to manipulate and force this round peg into a square hole almost any way they can as part of perhaps a larger agenda at hand in the California state legislature? Well, you know, it's hard to speculate on that, Craig, but absolutely it seems that way. And the crazy thing is that they're getting away away with it. They can say anything they want publicly, and yet on paper it looks completely different. And so it's a very odd, kind of a very manipulative um, bill, in my opinion. And, you know, what's troubling about this as well, and, and oftentimes I've, I've had callers to the program down through the years that have said, well, you know, the good news is that if a measure like this for some reason does pass, and if it does get signed into law by the governor, the good news is we have the courts to give us relief. Surely they will step in and see the folly of the choices made by the legislature and will right that wrong. But in the story I just shared a moment ago uh, concerning this um, national policy that was handed down under the Obama administration a couple of years ago pertaining to uh, so-called gender-neutral bathrooms. Clearly, there was no relief from a judge for parents in that case. In fact, he went as far as to say, well, if you don't like it, just take them out of school. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, there are so many different um, just circular arguments that are being used in our top-level culture conversation. It's pretty amazing, actually. It is amazing and, and um, disquieting and troubling at the same time. That's one of the reasons why we've been addressing this issue. Um, and, you know, it, it's one thing to have to go back and uh, straighten out the tree when it's grown, cro- grown crooked. Uh, it's a lot easier to help just train that tree in the right direction in the very beginning. And so uh, out of deference to the notion that the legislature in California is so unpredictable, as well as you can predict predict that the governor will be in lockstep with their unpredictability, and then the courts, well, that just seems to be, uh, you know, a cost of the toying, as we uh, we shared just a moment ago. Therefore, the reason why having your voice be heard, critically important, we are in an election year, and they do tend, generally speaking, to be a little bit more uh, attentive to the input of the uh, constituents during an election year. So with that in mind, um, even though currently the Senate legislature in recess, they will be coming back to work um, in just a couple of short weeks. And it would be good if they are greeted by your emails, your cards, your letters, telephone messages that can be taken down by the staff concerning Assembly Bill 2943. And you can simply go online. If you Google who's my state assembly member or who's my state senator, uh, you'll get a return on that based on where you're at geographically. And then uh, use the contact information to write, call, or email your respective member of the legislature. And I wouldn't just stop at the Senate, even though this is going before um, a Senate committee. I would go to both sides and let them know how you feel about AB 2943. Along with that, communication to the governor's office 
And uh, to reach the governor, you can simply call area code, where is it here? Here it is, area code 916-657-9900. That's 916-657-9900. That's the main switchboard for the Capitol. Asked to be connected to the governor's office. And uh, you won't get a chance to talk to the governor, but they will take your message down and let your voice be heard pertaining to Assembly Bill 29. Our thanks to Elizabeth Morning for joining us for that update. All right, we are way late because of this news coverage. Let's get caught up on some traffic right now. We'll head first to the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett, what's going on? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. As you know, we've been following the story of the um, recent nomination of Brent Kavanaugh to uh, fill a soon-to-be-vacated seat on the U.S. Supreme Court, vacated by Justice Kennedy, and that has reignited the entire debate over Roe versus Wade. Will a change in the high court um, translate into a change regarding abortion in America? And and while we can all remain hopeful, um, it still remains a question as to whether or not that's going to happen under, under what set of circumstances. While that might be in question, one thing that certainly is not in question, and that is the attitudes that Americans have toward abortion. There is a new poll out conducted by the Wall Street Journal regarding American attitudes on abortion, and in many respects it demonstrates what we've long believed and long suggested from the pro-life perspective, and that is for the most part, most Americans don't feel very comfortable with most reasons and most forms of abortion. Let's get some deeper insights now from Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Brian, I, I'm, I'm sure you as I, when reading this this new survey, the new um, survey results, really no major surprises uh, for the most part, and contrary to what uh, NARAL and uh, NOW and Planned Parenthood would like to you to believe, most Americans still continue to be pretty pretty conservative on this topic. Well, that's right, Craig, and I think it's important, you know, one aspect of this poll, and you'll see this in the pop media, and I think a lot of listeners to KFAX know that the, the pop media isn't really out to fully inform you. You'll hear it that, well, most Americans support Roe v. Wade, and then it's assumed that they support all abortion. But most Americans don't really understand what Roe is, and, and most importantly, the same day that Roe came down was a companion decision that enacts Roe, and that decision was called Doe v. Bolton. That's almost never discussed in the media. But it is, that's what's allowing abortion on demand. As you point out, Craig, in another great poll, it's a Gallup poll every year, that asks about the specifics of abortion. And when you ask even your neighbor or someone next to you at church that says, well, I'm, you know, I'm pro-life, but I don't know if we should restrict it all because, you know, it's all about my religion. I don't want to do it. No, no, just ask them, wait a second. Are you comfortable with late-term abortions that are done? I mean, look at God's nail. That's So a lot of people think that Roe v. Wade only limits abortion through the first trimester. And that's just really not true, and yet that's how it's often presented. The specifics of the issue, we are winning, and winning bigger every year, when people understand what it is. So all that wrote very quickly, and I enjoyed listening, by the way, about, uh, I'm glad that Andy is safe, Andy Froyland, a good friend, uh, but now, at Cal Fire, Dan at Cal Fire said something that hit me. 
he said their job isn't merely to put out fires. Their job is to save human lives. And they'll go back. They don't like having to go back. They'll go back if there's someone caught. They're there to save that life. That's actually the purpose of even having laws and government. And before Roe v. Wade, the laws in every state said, you know, we've got a baby here, and somewhere along the line, the law needs to protect that baby. What Roe said under Blackman, he said, you know, I don't know when, when life begins. He literally says that. And then the entire decision dismisses the human life of the child. And it sets up a trimester system. It was just as Blackman who set up the abortion clinic system. He said in the first trimester, you don't need that much safety. So he set up these clinics where you could just go in and have an abortion in the first trimester. In the second and third trimester, he stated, well, that's a little bit different. There needs to be more technology involved. But it's not to protect that baby. It's simply so that it's, it goes smoother from the physician's point of view, again, the abortionist, and then what Doe v. Bolton, again, it's not talked about, but it's the law of the land. Doe v. Bolton from the Supreme Court talked about the reasons for doing the abortion. So Roe set up this, this almost fictional trimester system, and people think, well, it just legalizes it in the first trimester. No, no, no. It legalizes it in all three trimesters. In Doe v. Bolton, it gives the reason, and the reasons can be for just about, you hear about life of the mother, it doesn't say that. It says for the well-being of the mother, and it's the abortionists that determine the well-being. And, and again, you talk about leading the witness. Here we have the judge explaining to the doctors the thinking they can use. That would include the emotional well-being of the woman. So he's telling the abortionist, you can do late-term abortion just have a real cool medical facility, and you get to decide, Mr. Abortionist, if her emotional well-being is at stake, well, go ahead and kill that kid. So, under Roe v. Wade, when you understand what it does, and you ask your friends and neighbors, even those who call themselves pro-choice, do you, do you favor unlimited abortion? Even late term? And this poll, when it gets into it, and again, I trust the Gallup poll even more, it actually asks about the specifics. The majority of Americans, even self-identified pro-choice Americans, they might say yes to Roe because they don't know what it is. Well, you know, the fascinating thing about not just the the research and the outcome of the the survey, which, again, holds pretty consistent to what we've long held going back many, many years, but it's also demonstrative of a very interesting phenomenon. It's it's the phenomenon I'll call of, of the bell curve view of life meaning that the more that we see the advancement of stages of life that seems to suggest what we're familiar with. So in the case here, you'll find, for example, uh, 60% of Americans that are are approving of abortion say that they, they are okay with it, but only in the first trimester of life. When you get to the second trimester, that number dramatically drops by more than half to just 28%. And then by the time the polling asks about the third trimester, that number drops in half again to just 13% of Americans, seemingly 
the more we see the advancement of stages of development that that looks like the baby that we recognize, the more hesitant we are to approve of abortion. And and then the other side of the bell curve, of course, Brian, is with the implementation of things like physician-assisted suicide, that we also seem to see a growing trend in our state, that as we reach more toward the final stages of life, we become suddenly, once again, less respective of life, and therefore more readily willing to dispose of it if, if it ceases again to look like the vibrancy of life that we all recognize. And so it this is very telling, I think, and you're right that these two decisions really go hand in hand, where Roe v. Wade sets up this this sort of false dichotomy of, of trimesters. Uh, it's Bolton that, that really sets on the center stage uh, some of the, the worst part of the, the danger of this, in that while... It, the original language of Roe allowed states to implement restrictions in the second trimester and even stronger restrictions in the third trimester. Bolton allowed sort of the get-out-of-jail-free card, and that is the language that would suggest that if, however, any of this is reasonably related to maternal health, that therefore then abortion would be allowed. And it is the gray area here, the intentional neutral language of the Doe versus Bolton decision, Brian, that seems to have really set up for not only layers of confusion amongst Americans, but this slippery slope toward life. That's right. I mean, again, Roe declares, I don't know when life begins, so there's no legal protection for this kid at all. That's what Roe says. And then the Gosnell situation. By the way, a plug for a good friend. There's a movie coming out about Gosnell in October. But the reason that Dr. Gosnell could do what he did is that Doe v. Bolton said, you know, it's the abortionists that get to decide. They're the ones that get to decide whether they want to do the abortion or not. And so that's unlimited. If you know the story of Gosnell and you know it, it's incredible, it is just incredible. So I'm, I'm hoping and hoping we can talk about the film as it gets ready to come out. But as Americans understand the grotesqueness of killing vulnerable, innocent children in the womb, and even outside of the womb, which Gosnell was doing. He was doing the partial birth abortions, and some of them, he would take the child out. He, well, he had to take the head out, and then he sniffed. And it, it's just unbelievable. But, thank God, Americans do believe in common sense. The language of this battle has been intentionally distorted. We've talked about that many times. Well, let's look, for example, Brian, the fact that, you know, oftentimes, you know, this will be couched in terms of, well, you know, when it comes to a woman's right to choose, how do you feel? Well, most Americans that that even have a passing sense of appreciation towards our history think about, well, gee, what a great American ideal. Uh, We have the right to choose the church that we attend. We choose the newspapers that we read. We choose the opinions that we express. We can choose the people that we marry we choose the people we associate with. So American choice is seemingly fundamental to our way of life and to our form of government. So when you pose the question, do you believe in choice, uh, the big percentage of Americans come back and say, absolutely, that's American idealism. And yet, if you are more succinct in describing what you mean by choice and what's driving that choice when it comes to abortion, suddenly then the tables get turned and turn quite dramatically, don't they? Oh, exactly. I mean, think about it. If 
if you were asked, hey, would you, there's a, there's a pastor visiting from Laytonville, California, speaking of rural California, and, and he wants to babysit your children, would you be okay with that? Well, you're the pastor, well, I guess that's okay. And then you find out, well, actually, I didn't tell you everything. Uh, you just approved Jim Jones coming and taking care of your kid. So if you're not told the specifics, if it's basically a quick sketch of, of something that you agree to, and yet there's very specific actions you are authorizing, that's really not a valid, it's not a valid way of looking at the world. And what I'm thankful, what's really happening now, is that Americans are starting to see through this. And it might take a little bit longer in California, but uh, it is happening. And we're seeing this change. And I want to remind pro-life folks in the audience, you know, when your friends disagree with you, be lovable. But do lovingly correct them and, and talk about the, the details, the specifics. Understand what Roe really did and what Doe does. And make sure that, you know, study these things. Study to show yourself approved. So you don't have to be ashamed for the position that you've taken. Explain these things in a reasonable way. And we want women help. I have to tell you, you know this. It's Christians who want to help women more than, more than the abortionists do. And so... We are on, we're on the side of both compassion and common sense. We're on the side of women. And again, speaking of language, you know that the majority across the board, not just at church, the majority of women are much more pro-life than the majority of men. So to say that, oh, this is a women's issue, you're just opposed to women. No, actually, more women are pro-life than men are pro-life if you look at generic polling. So we're on the side of common sense, we're on the side of science, we're on the side of compassion, we're on the side of the law. Even as I said, Cal Fire knows that the reason the government exists is to protect lives, and even they're willing to go to extraordinary lengths to protect lives, and the law did that before Roe v. Wade. So Roe will be overturned, Roe and Doe will be overturned, and as you said in an earlier segment, Greg, then it's up to us to watch what goes on in Sacramento laws. Other states will be ready. But in California, our legislators don't hear from you. They think you don't care about laws. And you don't get it. They're the important people that know everything. And you don't want them to have that attitude. You want to lovingly correct them. And so, well, we can vote you out, I guess. But we care. And that's what citizens do. And I think that really Christians should be the best Citizen. And undoubtedly so, and you know, because we we certainly have um, the most at stake here, because it's not just our citizenship and and participation in the in the matter of self governance, uh, but also we are citizens of another world that is not of this world, and we have a responsibility um, and a level of accountability at a higher level. And when we talk about protecting life, we're not just doing it because we think it's a novel idea or we want to run, you know, contrarian to what seems to be the, the you know the, the the popular acceptance in modern culture or whatever the case may be. We do it because we understand that God created very life itself. That each of these children are created in God's image, that God does not in any way differentiate between, well, this was a loving relationship, therefore it's going to be blessed, as opposed to here is a child that is a product of a a, a violent act, for example. There's no differentiation in terms of the value of that child in God's eyes whatsoever. And so therein lies the yardstick by which we must measure 
our attitude, and our willingness to take a stand. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, for that update on this new and very encouraging Wall Street Journal poll regarding Roe versus Wade and American attitudes concerning abortion. It's 6 o'clock from KFAX San Francisco. Let's get updated on some headline news. But first, we'll get you updated on traffic. Head over to the KFAX Traffic Center and hear once again Michael Bennett. Michael. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.